you are locked on wild your minnesota wild every day hi everyone i'm tony abbott of the athletic minnesota and i am with you solo but we got some mailbag today so uh we'll be going through that i think i said on my last episode back on friday and if you haven't listened to the last two episodes we've had a couple of bangers for guests thank you so much from josh from Evolving Wild and Jesse uh, Pierce from the Athletic Minnesota and like a million other places too. Um, So go and check those out if you haven't yet. But I think on my last episode, I said that I would be giving you my trade deadline reaction on Wednesday. Did not feel right to do that without Joe. So instead, we are going to do the mailbag. Before we dive into the mailbag, I do want to say I have got a new article up at The Athletic Minnesota, so if you can check that out, it's real good stuff about Kevin Fiala and how he is emerging. He is absolutely putting it together. We've talked about it on here a little bit before, but I go in-depth and really dig into the numbers and sort of show that he is actually producing at a superstar level since November 1st. And right now we're talking about almost four months now of putting together some, you know, pretty close to superstar production. So please go check that out. It, uh, it it's, it's real good. And we'll get into the mailbag in the meantime. We are going to start with... We are going to start with Sean Woodley. How long did it take to realize that the Wild logo was the silhouette of a bear? It took me 15 years. Now, I I don't know if I decided it was a bear until recently. Like, I was was very fine saying, okay, it's like an ambiguous animal. But now I am very much in the camp that it's just a bear. It's a bear. We're going to call it a bear. I don't care if it has bobcat-like features or anything like that. It's just a bear. And you know, I, I I obviously grew up in 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 this in this whole thing with, with the Wild. Got interested in hockey following the Wild, so you know I, I probably paid a little more attention to that than Sean, who is based out of Toronto. So I don't think it took me very long to realize what it was, or generally what it was. So. We've got a few questions from Ben Remington, a friend of the show and host of the Giles and the Goalie podcast. He starts with, was dumping Parise to save $3 million a year for three years and $7.5 million for two years after that worth it when you assume that he's probably not playing out the full length of his contract? That's an interesting question, and I think that a lot of people are asking that when it was rumored that Parise was going to be traded to the New York Islanders uh, in exchange for Andrew Ladd. Now, Ladd was one of those players who signed a long-term deal in the in the summer of 2016, uh, where everyone was going absolutely wild with throwing their money around, and I think he signed for a seven-year contract that was $5.5 million a year, and he's got three left of that. So Minnesota would be saving about $2 million of cap space, and I think if you bury him in the AHL, which is what the Islanders have done uh, for the last, uh, for this year, for the most part, I I think you can save an extra million dollars against the cap, so I don't know. It's an interesting question, right? Because you have Andrew Ladd, who has not been productive at all in his first year as an Islander. He scored 23 goals and 31 points, which is 
you know, you talk, you think about signing a power forward like Lad after age 30 and look at what Lad's done. And I think that's a, a real good argument to uh, to never sign a power forward past the age of 30. He had 23 goals in his first year with the Islanders, then dropped off to 12 and 73 games, which is pretty awful. And then last year, it went down even further. I think he was injured a bunch. Uh, 26 games with three goals, which is yikes. That's uh, that's that's pretty rotten. And even in the AHL this year, uh, he's only produced 11 goals in 34 games so far. So uh, you're getting nothing out of Andrew Ladd, but you're saving a little bit in cap space as compared to the 7.5 something million dollars of Zach Parise's deal. But the thing is, Parise, you might be saving some cap space, but you're also looking at Parise and being like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's certainly more productive than Andrew Ladd is. He's got uh, got 21 goals on the year. He has an outside chance of, of getting 30, and we know that, you know, he can get hot and go on a run for a stretch of 10 to, to 20 games. And if he does that, if he catches fire, then he'll, you know, have a 30-goal season under his belt. So it is interesting to see, uh, to think about the trade-off of, okay, you're saving you know, some cap space, you're saving some money, as opposed to getting a less productive player. And I think straight up in that proposed deal, if that was a straight up Parise for Lad trade, which we will not know, then I would say that, you know, that's not worth it. I I don't think the cap savings cancel out what you're 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 getting or the drop off in what you're getting, which is essentially nothing. Basically a dead cap hit for Andrew Ladd. Um, and I think the thing is, too, to consider that, you know, Minnesota doesn't really have cap issues. At, at least I don't, I don't think so going forward. They've got more than enough cap room this year. Maybe after next year, they'll need some room when they've got to re-sign guys like Kevin Fiala, but I don't know. I don't, uh, I, I suppose in a couple years, too, cap resolve if you're looking ahead. But at the same time, I, I don't think this is a, a team that is in dire need of cap relief. So I would say that that's not something that I would be particularly interested in. And I'm kind of glad that unless Minnesota would have gotten something, you know, pretty valuable to go along with Lad, where it makes up for that increased production that, uh, that they would be getting in in trading lad for parise if, if there was like a sweetener that made a lot of sense like maybe uh maybe a goalie prospect who's i don't know maybe russian and you know maybe kirill kaprizov can call his buddy up and be like hey russian goalie guy you should come play with me in minnesota like unless it was something like that then uh then i'm not particularly interested in that trade-off all right we're gonna take a break and then when we come back we are going to talk about, ooh, Marcus Foligno. We're going to talk about prospects. We're going to talk about stakes, Bruce Boudreaux's legacy, and more. You're listening to Locked On Wild. All right, we are back at Locked On Wild. I'm Tony, and we are still tackling onto the mailbag. Let's, uh, let's keep it going, shall we? Greg asks, most interesting prospect in the 10 to 15 range. So, uh, in midseason, my top 10 prospects were Karel Kaprizov, Adam Beckman, 
Alex Hovanov, Matt Boldy, Brennan Manel, Sam Hentges, Capo Kakinen, Hunter Jones, Connor Dewar, and Vladislav Firstov. Obviously, the addition of Kalen Addison would bump Firstov off this list, but uh, even though I think he would be the most interesting to me, and, and I've heard a little more about him since I did these midseason rankings to propel him up the list, I'm I'm going to go and not include him for the purposes of this discussion. I like Dmitry Sokolov a lot. I think that uh, I think that he could have some role on this team, but the one that I'm going to go with, I think, is Nikita Nestorenko. I would probably put him around the top 15. He is pretty far away right now. He's in the BCHL in the year after his draft year, uh, but he is a very young 18-year-old. I think his birthday is September uh, 10th, I think. Uh, was September 10th, which means he was one of the youngest eligible players for the draft, so he's maybe a little further away than everyone else. At the same time, he's putting up pretty good numbers for an 18-year-old in the BCHL, or at least, you know, solid. It's not like the toughest junior league or anything like that. It's not, say, Adam Beckman leading the WHL in points, but he is a point per game there, and he is a commit to the, uh, the Boston College Eagles, and I think that that is a player who is. I'm going to be interested to watch. You know, any any one of these you know project players where they have potential and they're you know putting it together, I think is interesting. According to Scott Wheeler's rankings, he had Nikita Nestorenko 17th. I would probably put him a little bit higher just because of how he's describing his ability. In his uh, his small scouting report, he says, quote, his talent is undeniable. He's got sick hands. He's fun to watch on the power play and he can make plays from a standstill off the boards or in transition at speed. I think that that is a lot of upside. And I think that's what gives me, you know, interest in, in a prospect is upside. You know, if a guy like, you know, if, if a guy projects to be, you know, an OK forward in the NHL like uh like a Nico Sturm or even like a Will Bitten I think kind of fits in that category like you know that's good you need those guys but uh but the upside is what makes me pay attention I think that Nestorenko out of that latter group if you assume that Sokolov's not going to uh not going to click at all I think that Nestorenko might be the guy who will pop by the time we see him next year so that's my guy all right, we're going to go to the next question. This is from Ben Remington again. Is Bar- If Barclay Goudreau in a third gets you a first, what does theoretically trading franchise cornerstone stone Marcus Foligno get you? I mean, I think that the answer to this question is that he would have gotten you quite a significant haul. I think if Blake Coleman, who is a good player, I'm not saying he's not a good player, but if Blake Coleman is going to get you a first-round pick, and extra, you know, in terms of, uh, I think in terms of prospects, I, I, oh, it was, um, it was either Callan or, or Nolan foot. I can't remember which one, but, uh, but you know, a six foot three center prospect who's producing in juniors. I think that, you know, you would have gotten something pretty comparable. I think if Tyler Toffoli is going to get you a second round pick and a top 40 prospect in Tyler Madden, then I, I think that, you know, I would have expected a similar haul 
for Marcus Foligno. I'll I'll talk more about it tomorrow, but I I think that they could have really gotten a haul for Marcus Foligno, and I'm kind of bummed that they did not do that. We got a three-peat of questions from Wild for Chicklets. I'll go through them pretty quick. Uh, what do you, would you do with the goalie situation? I think we've talked about it a little bit. I would try to... I would try to trade for a young goalie right now and try to see if I couldn't get my number one goalie at a, you know, under 25 age to uh, to step in and spell Dubnik for next year. Let's say we can't do that, though. Um, I, I know that a friend of the show, Derek Peterson, might get mad at me, but if Minnesota can pick up a third first round pick, I would be a little bit interested in getting Yaroslav Askarov in the draft next year. If you have three shots at, you know, turning something up with a first round pick, I think that, uh, I think that that could be really smart to, uh, to, you know, go and and get this, uh, this goalie who might be generational. His stock might be dropping a little bit. So maybe that means that, you know, if you make a trade in the off season with team like Florida or a team like Montreal, you might be able to be in the range where either a trade up to get, uh, Yaroslav Askarov isn't going to be, you know, terribly, uh, terribly expensive, or he might just fall to you. Uh, so I don't know. That that's my thing is just like getting young goalies in the organization and trying to build a pipeline there. I do not hate the idea of Joe, you know, trying uh, that Joe has been a fan of in terms of getting someone like a Jacob Markstrom on a short-term deal. I don't hate that as long as it's short-term. So, I don't know. It, it would be very fluid for me what uh, what to do in the near term. Maybe that Zamboni driver can uh, can be my goalie. I don't know. He, uh, he seemed to do a good enough job in Carolina, but uh, that is with, uh, with... You know what? The thing is, Minnesota's defense is also good, so... You know, who knows? Who knows? He asks as well, what prospects do you see getting a shot at the lineup next year? I think that's an interesting question, too. I think Kaprizov is the slam dunk guy to do that. Uh, I would I would think that uh, Hovanov is going to have a shot. I think Manel's going to have a shot, especially if they trade a defenseman. Um, as for anyone else... It would be interesting to see if Connor Dewar could do it. I don't know if he can. He's not, you know, he's not had a great season in Iowa, but he's also been pretty buried in the lineup, so I don't really know what to make of that. Then uh, Sokolov, I would like to see him get a shot. I don't think he's going to. So I think that the big ones are going to be Hovanov, Manal, and maybe, maybe Kalen Addison, too. That that could also be a guy who they take a long look at again, especially if they end up making a trade on the blue line this offseason. And the third question from Wild for Chicklets. Outside of Parise and Brodeen, who do you see being moved in the offseason? I think, you know, there's, a, there's quite a few players who I, I could see being moved in the offseason. I think Dumba is an obvious candidate to be moved in the offseason. I think that if you were going to trade Marcus Foligno, you would have done it already, so I don't think that he's going to be on the table. If Minnesota clears off another spot in trading for Zach Parise, if they are able to consummate a trade like that this offseason, I could actually see 
you know, none of these other wings getting moved in terms of, you know, Ryan Donato, maybe he gets an elevated lineup spot, uh, which, you know, I, I definitely think he deserves. He had a goal last night. And I think Russo noted in his post-game article that he leads the team in goals per hour. And I, I think that uh, that is worth keeping around. So I think that, you know, that is a player that could definitely, you know, stick around if if there is room for Zach Parise to, to go. I don't think Eric Stahl would be leaving. He's on such a cheap contract. And... You know, I I don't think he wants to go anywhere, and it it doesn't really sound like they are super eager to move him, especially, you know, once you do trade Stahl, there's not a lot of center depth behind them. Uh, My view is kind of who cares when it comes to that, but, uh, you know, uh, that's probably not the the view of a general manager whose job is, is... not on the line, but, you know, will want to, you know, show improvement or, or... or, you know, competitiveness from his team. Other than that, I think it would surprise me to see, you know, someone who's not a, a smaller piece on this team, like, uh, like say, Greg Patteron, who was rumored to to have interest. I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave. Uh, Victor Rask, I, I think, is, is a bio candidate. And I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone off the usual suspect list that I'm like, I think that guy's going to go. Let's take one more break. We'll come back and we'll uh, we'll wrap up the mailbag for this week. You're listening to Locked On Wild. We are back at Locked On Wild. And we're gonna finish up these questions. Let's start with. Uh, I, I think the the remaining questions are all from Ben Remington. So we're going to read Ben's questions. He asks, "Give me five teams you would have rather had the Wild face in the Winter Classic without using Canadian teams because that won't happen." And five teams that would have been worse than the Blues. I don't know if I have five teams that are better than the Blues. And maybe that... I, I was pretty disappointed and vocal about my disappointment on Twitter when the Blues were announced for the Winter Classic opponent. And in the grand scheme of things, out of 31 teams, would they have been the worst team to, to face? Like, no, I don't think they would have been the worst team to face. But at the same time, I think they were a very distant third at the very at the very best they were a very distant third as compared to the Winnipeg Jets who have all kinds of star power on their team and have a fan base that would have traveled and would have been extremely fun to uh to have you know interactions with i i, I don't know if uh if blues fans coming from Missouri are going to have the same kind of camaraderie that wild fans have with the Jets I, they they just don't have that that rivalry is not there the way that it looks on paper. I know they met in the playoffs a couple times, but I don't know. There there wasn't even as much bad blood, I think, in those couple of playoff matches as there was when the Jets knocked out Minnesota in five games. I felt like there was more ba- bad blood on the ice, and especially compared to the Avalanche. I think the Avalanche would have been a perfect opponent when it comes to, you know, the Avs are a team that are going to be Stanley Cup contenders this year. They made, uh, they made, they almost made the Western Conference final last year. I think they went in seven games to San Jose. They have Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, just a lot of talent, and there's a lot of hatred on the ice between the Avs and the Wild. I think that would have just been a supreme matchup. 
Like, do I care about the blues less than I care about, like, the stars or the predators or the Blackhawks? You know, I, I probably care about them as much as those teams. I, I don't really, like, I'm not really fascinated with those teams or anything like that. So I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if I would rather have had one of those teams than uh than the blues i think the stars thing would have been one of those things where it's like oh okay like uh on paper like this matchup looks cooler than it is because the stars went to uh to dallas from minnesota i i think that would have been you know uh not hack but hack basically so i don't know i i don't know if i i have five teams that would have preferred uh vegas could have been cool but like that's I think that's just kind of the glitz of Vegas. Uh, Connor McDavid doesn't count for this because I'm not allowed to use Canadian teams. So, I don't know. The Blues, it's okay, but, like, it could have been so much better is what I'm saying. Like, as for five teams that I think would have been worse, uh, Coyotes would have sucked as a matchup. Kings would have sucked as a matchup. Ducks would have sucked as a matchup. Uh, anyone out east, there were rumors that the Islanders would have been the matchup, and man, there's just, there's no rivalry there. I think, uh, I think Columbus was just aired, and because they have a tenuous connection of, of, of having the same year that they debuted in, they had the same, like, expansion draft. That was a, that was a rivalry between two front offices for one summer, so that's not anything that, uh, that actually counts, so... I don't know if there was a team from the East that I would have liked to have seen more than the Blues. So, like I said, Blues, fine, whatever. I just think it could have been a lot better. Speaking of the Blues, Ben asks, Did Jake Allen ruin Bruce Boudreaux's legacy? And I don't think so. Just because I think, if anything, it kind of solidified Bruce's legacy as being a guy who, you know, is is great in the regular season can turn, you know, a team around and get them to the top of the standings and, you know, doesn't get it done in the playoffs. And I don't think that's, like, a fair thing for Bruce. I think he's he should be considered to be a great coach without any qualifiers whatsoever. But, you know, that qualifier, not with me, but with other people, I think that's there with uh, at least, you know, at least a good chunk of, of the hockey fandom and media. So I think that, you know, I, I think that it kind of confirmed what a lot of people feel about Bruce Boudreaux rather than, you know, ruin his legacy. If Bruce won a cup that year with, uh, with the wild, then I think, you know, his legacy would have obviously skyrocketed. He might've been considered to be one of the best coaches. I mean, like ever, if he had a, a cup on his resume, but, uh, Without that, I, I think he's still very much a Hall of Fame coach. I think I, I think you're kind of out of your gourd if you don't think that that Bruce Boudreaux is a Hall of Fame coach, but but I don't think that Jake Allen changed that one way or another. And the last question I got was Ben Remington, give me all the seductive details on your perfectly designed steak. Cut, doneness, toppings? Other specific details appreciated. And I'm going to disappoint Ben here and say, like, I don't have, like, I don't have, like, a wealth of steak knowledge. I've never been, like, super interested or into steaks. Like, 
I, I know this is going to sound like completely not classy at all, right? Because like steak is like the classy person food. And I'm not not open to it. I had a steak this summer at a friend's house. They were grilling it and it was wonderful. I had no idea how it was done or what cut it was or anything like that. So, But that was like the first time in a long time that I think I even had a steak. And I think that was the first time I, I've been blown away by a steak. So I I don't really have a lot of steak opinions. I'm more of a burger guy. I feel like that's like an everyman's version of a steak. And um, we can uh, we can definitely talk burgers. I, I don't think uh, I, th- I don't know if Ben wants me to talk burgers on this uh, mailbag. If he wants to ask me next week when when Joe's here, I think that Joe and I can have that conversation. But as for steaks, you know what, Ben? We'll uh we'll go out for a steak sometime, and I'll I'll tell you, I'll I'll tell you what uh I'll I'll tell you what I dig on a steak once uh once we go out and try one. So I think that's going to do it for this episode of Lockdown Wild. If you want to help support the show, you can do so in a few ways. You can subscribe to us and never miss an episode. That's a big one. You can email us any listeners' choice topics. We're gonna need one or you know two. Uh, for for this week by emailing us at lockdownwild at gmail.com you can also submit any questions that you have for our mailbag next week we are always in need of mailbag questions always in need of listeners topic uh listeners choice topics so uh please go ahead and do that you can also tell a friend about us and, and let them know about uh about our awesome daily minnesota wild podcast where they can get us every day and and i think the uh thing that i can say that would help us the most is uh stick around we're going to have a lot to talk about between now and the end of the year. I know the trade deadline's over and that we, you know, maybe had our, our hopes a little higher that we would see something like drastically different from this team. But, you know, there's going to be a lot to talk about from now until the end of the season and then beyond through the draft, through whatever trades may or may not happen at the draft, through free agency. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Kirill Kaprizov's coming. I think he plays his next Minnesota or his last KHL game in the regular season tomorrow so you know we're we're going to have a lot to talk about and it'll be real fun and we are excited for you to stick around keep downloading our episodes and listening to us and keeping up with your Minnesota Wild every day. <laughs>